My vision for was would be for people to continue to put their effort into their own health. So for, for people to realise that their health is their responsibility. You are your own best advocate. And mm. I say to my patients, you're the driver of your health. How do we become our best and live a life of meaning and purpose? In a world where the constant focus is on fixing what's wrong with us, we want to highlight what is right and good about you to help you live out your best every day. Hi, I'm Eloise Wellings. And I'm Rory Darkins, and this is What's Right Within. Welcome back, or if it's your first time joining us, welcome to What's Right Within. Today we have a special episode focusing on health, and we're lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Ross Walker. Dr. Ross, as he likes to be known, is an expert in the field of preventative cardiology and has published seven books. He gives lectures nationally and internationally, and he has his own weekly radio show on healthy living on Macquarie Radio Network. Just a quick note before we get into this episode, because we're talking about the topic of health, we want to remind you that it's a very complex and individual topic. So make sure you consult your trusted and licensed medical practitioner before acting on anything we talk about in this episode. This conversation is really for educational purposes to help us all to think about and be more in the driver's seat of our own health and well-being. Yeah, and we, we do talk about weight in this episode. And as an athlete, and I know many of our listeners are athletes, I really want to reiterate that lighter isn't always better. It's about building a healthy relationship with food and creating habits that serve and nourish you in life. So with that, let's jump in with Dr. Ross Walker. Dr. Ross Walker, thanks for joining us. We're Welcome. really looking it's forward my, to hearing. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Rory. Thank you, Eloise. Dr. Ross, what, you know, what is health and what do you, how do you think about it and how do you define health as a doctor? Well, I, I think, I mean, probably it's even better to talk about what is wellness. And I think there's yeah. five components to what is wellness. So the first part of wellness is the absence of disease. So, and that, that's where obviously prevention is vitally important. The second part of wellness to me is to have energy, to feel vital, to, to be able to go through the day and enjoy your life and not be sitting there and drifting off to sleep every five seconds. And just Many people are tired and they drag themselves through, through life every day because of that fatigue. So it's, it's, it's having good quality energy. So not only good quality um, uh, lack of disease, but good quality energy as well. Number three is to have what I call body wellness. And body wellness isn't just about being fit, but it's also having a good musculoskeletal system. It's being able to hear well, be able to see well, all, all the aspects of, of having great senses and great musculature, et cetera. And, and, and part of that body wellness is keeping your weight down, which I think is very important as well. Number four is mind wellness. So there's no point getting into your 60s and 70s and not really sure why, why you're being there in the first place. So keeping the mind active and the mind healthy. And number five, probably most importantly, is having emotional wellness. And emotional wellness is, is to me, absolutely vital. So, so to me, health and wellness are those five components integrated into a program that I think everyone should see for the rest of their lives. And I see every day as a self-improvement program. So you've got to do everything you can to the best level you can every day of your life. So I love that definition of, of health and wellness and, and combining the, the 
psychological, the emotional, and with the, the various aspects of the physical. Um, because that's something that, you know, my background's in positive psychology, and um, obviously Eloise is an Olympic athlete. We often, the, the sort of false dichotomy, you know, the separation between the physical and the mental, I think is, is such a limitation. Um, so mm. it's really refreshing really to hear um, how you integrate those. I would love to double click under those as we go. Um, but before we do, Dr. Ross, I would love to understand more of your personal journey um, into this field. Like it's not lost on me that you've written seven books, <laughs> which is prolific. Um, what, what led you to you know, the field that you're in and, and your journey through that? Because you've carved out a pretty unique path in that space, right? Yeah, it's, it's sort of weird what, what's happened to me. But um, when, when I went into medicine when I was 17, um, I had no idea of what would happen in my life. And, and I got married very early. And my wife and I, after a year or so of marriage, had our first child and then five children later and eight grandchildren later, we've certainly had some interesting stuff happening. But when I went into my specialty in cardiology, and the reason I chose cardiology over all the other specialties, I think we can offer people so much at a preventative level, at an interventional level. We've got incredibly good pharmaceuticals for, for cardiology as well. So, so to me, there was so much, and it was such a wonderful, wonderful specialty. But I've got to say, when I was a trainee registrar, I'd go down to the post-cardiac surgical uh, ward and I'd see these significantly obese people fronting up for their second lot of bypass surgery or the people having bypass surgery ducking out for a cigarette. And I mm. thought to myself, hang on a minute, there, there's something wrong here. And, and Albert Einstein, I think, said it best when he said there's nothing that's a more certain sign of insanity than to do the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. Somebody who's grossly obese is having a mutilating operation on their sternum twice and not doing anything about the root cause of their disease, their significant obesity. Mm. So really, my attitude to practicing medicine started back in my 20s and it's continued on 40 years later. The best treatment of heart disease, the best treat treatment of Alzheimer's, the best treatment of cancer, of osteoporosis, of diabetes is not to get it in the first place. It's called prevention. And I believe well over 90% of diseases are preventable, but you can't prevent them with drugs. You've got to have an integrated program where it's all put in together. Mm. Yeah, you're speaking our language because even from the, the mental skills and psychology point of view, we sort of so often see the same thing, right? You wait till there's a, a, a significant problem mm. and then you try to fix it as opposed to building the lifestyle and the habits and the, the practices that support your growth and your, your well-being and, and you, know, you being able to be the person you want to be in the world. So I really like that the preventative, um, the proactive approach that you that you take. Um, I'm curious to know what with those five um, pillars that you alluded to earlier. Are mm. you able to just break each of those down into what you think the most important practices for each of them are? Oh, sure, easy. That, that's easy. Firstly, when we talk about prevention, uh, to me, there, there are different categories of that. Firstly, you've got to know where you are. So, so for example, taking my specialty cardiovascular disease, there's a, a test that I pioneered with the Sydney Adventist Hospital in 1999. So it's been around for 21 years. 
And this is a thing called coronary calcium scoring. Now, coronary calcium scoring is a CT scan that takes a snapshot of your arteries without dye or injections, and it can measure how much muck you have in the walls of your arteries. Mm. Now, this shouldn't be for young people like you, but for say, for example, 50-year-old male, 60-year-old female should be having this test as a routine to see where they are first. So always take the test to get some idea of where you are in the preventative scale. So if, for example, you've got a zero score on the calcium score, your risk for heart disease is incredibly low. So you don't need to be filled to the eyeballs with cholesterol-lowering pills and you don't need to be seeing doctors all the time. You just need to keep your lifestyle tight. So, so firstly, number one, know where you are. So, so it's what I call take the test. Number two is then the king. Lifestyle is king. And this is what does my head in. <laughs> Someone goes into a doctor, their cholesterol's high, they're immediately put onto a pill to lower their cholesterol. And that pill lowers the risk for heart disease by about 20 to 30%. So if I gave a statin pill to lower someone's cholesterol at age 10, I reduced their heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. But here's the hooker. At age 10, your risk for a heart attack is 0.0000001%. So mm. if you take a, take a pill to lower your cholesterol, you low, lower your risk down to 0.0000008%. So you take it down 0.2% or 0.002%. It's ridiculous. You wouldn't even think of doing it. Mm -hmm. But even then, if you have, say, a 65-year-old man with a very high coronary calcium score, or he's already had a stent, a heart attack, or a bypass, he over 10 years, if he did nothing, he has a 50% risk for another heart attack stent bypass. Mm -hmm. So a 20% reduction of 50% takes him from 50% to 40% because 20% of 50% is 10%. It's still not that good. Mm. But if you practice the five keys of being healthy, because everything's in fives. If you think of it, you've got five digits on your hand, you've got five senses, there are five seasons if you count Frankie Valley. So everything's in <laughs> fives, all right? So, so what are the five keys of being healthy? Firstly, you cannot be healthy and smoke drink too much alcohol or snort cocaine. So anyone who has any addictions is sick. You can be a 25-year-old who runs a marathon, but if you smoke, you are still ill. So number one, and this is increasing order of importance, number one, quit all addictions. Mm. Number two is good quality sleep. Seven to eight hours of good quality sleep per night is as good for your body as not smoking. Mm. Number three is nutrition. Nutrition so easy to talk about, harder to do. It's called eat less food, eat more natural food. And so that, the, the key there is not, not to get there and have low-fat food or no cholesterol food. That's all nonsense. The key is to have two or three pieces of fruit per day, three to five servings of vegetables mm. per day, servings about a half a carrot, mm. and then little bits of, if you want to, meat, eggs, dairy, chicken, fish, nuts, and olive oil. It's called the Mediterranean diet. It's the only diet in the world with any evidence base behind it. Mm. The number four is the second best, tra uh, second best drug on the planet. I'm talking to an Olympic athlete here, uh, which is three to five hours every week of moderate exertion. Yeah. So more than that is actually not, no better for you. In fact, high-performance athletes often have more heart disease than people who practice the three to five hours a week. So you might perform, you might be a, a professional athlete for any reason, but that's your job, but it doesn't make you healthier than someone who does three to five hours of moderate exertion per week. And I say, you don't need to wear, wear the heart rate monitor or anything else. You just need to know when you've hit perceived exertion, mm -hmm. which is where you feel a bit tested, a bit short of breath, a bit of a sweat. And that, that 
reduces your risk. Now, wait for this one. If you have that regular exercise habit, it reduces your risk for heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, depression, and diabetes by 30%. It reduces your risk for osteoporosis 50%. You sleep better and it drops your blood pressure. There's no pharmaceutical pill known to man that yeah. comes anywhere near exercise. There's a, a statin reduces your risk for heart, one disease, a heart attack by about 20%. Yeah, mm. it's true. Yeah. We, were, we were made to move. Of course we were. And number five is the best drug on the planet. This beats everything else hands down. It's a thing called happiness. And the happier you are, the less disease you have. Now, I'm not saying happy people don't get sick. What I am saying is they just don't get sick as, 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 as much as unhappy people. And when they do get sick, they get better quicker. And interestingly, there was a 75-year study out of Harvard University, which gets probably to the fifth point of the, the wellness thing, uh, a 75-year study out of Harvard University showing the one key to health and happiness is to have someone else in your life who loves and cares for you, who you love and care for. So I'd much prefer to see people happy together in a loving relationship than whether their damn cholesterol is down below four. So, so those five keys of being healthy are the second component after taking the test. Then it's having uh, the appropriate uh, pharmaceutical therapy, if necessary, the appropriate supplements, if necessary, and then also having a regular trusted relationship with, with a health professional who can manage your care as well and someone who you can report problems to, who you can see on a regular basis and have those assessments. So that's just for cardiovascular disease, but the same works for cancer mm. as well. So having all of those lifestyle principles, so because to me, lifestyle is king, mm. is 70 to 80% of anyone's management of any condition. So mm. don't focus so much on... on doctors. Doctors aren't that powerful. Lifestyle is four times more powerful than a doctor. And I have the person coming into me with a big fat gut saying, doctor, can I have more of that Lipitor, please? I said, well, lose the gut first. Mm. Worry about that because that's more important than worrying about what drugs you're on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Ross, I just want to go back and double click on, on happiness. And, and you mentioned happiness um, and you know, so much of our happiness comes from the quality of our relationships. Yep. Can you can you touch on how does the quality of our relationships influence our health? How oh, look, it influences in, in, in two major ways. Firstly, if you have a high quality relationship with another person, you are more motivated to practice those five keys of being healthy. You will eat better. You will do it, do the exercise because you've got a reason to get out of bed in the morning. If you are lonely, if you're isolated, your health issues are so much higher. And also you don't have somebody who's encouraging you to be healthy. That's number one. But number two, probably just as important, is when you are unhappy, you're releasing the unhappy chemicals into your bloodstream. When you're happy, you're releasing the happy chemicals. So we have obviously five happy chemicals. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, only two unhappy chemicals. Mm. But the happy chemicals are really important to focus on. Number one is a thing called serotonin. Mm -hmm. So serotonin is the background mood chemical. So when you look out the window and the birds are singing, the sun's shining, you feel good. That's mm -hmm. because your serotonin levels are in a good, good space. If your serotonin levels are low and you look out the window, the sun shining, the birds singing, you couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. So the mood chemical serotonin is very important. Number two is the pleasure chemical, a thing called dopamine. So every, every time you have a nice meal, you have a, uh, you, uh, 
you do a bit of exercise, you have an orgasm. All of these things release a bit of dopamine into the pleasure center into the body called the, the nucleus accumbens. But here's the problem. When people say, for example, use illegal drugs, they get a flood of dopamine from their pleasure center, so nothing else gives them pleasure. So they spend their whole life looking for the illegal drug, not looking for where they should be looking for pleasure. So mm. that's number two is dopamine. Number three is oxytocin, which is the love chemical. So when, when, when you feel loved by somebody, when you hold a young child, when you, when you breastfeed, you release this oxy, oxytocin, which makes you bond to other people. A very, very important thing. Number four are our opiates, our natural endorphins, which you get from pleasure, from exercise, from, from doing things. We want to get release of natural endorphins rather than getting them exogenously from illegal substances. And then finally, this is my favorite one, is a thing called anandamide, which is the bliss chemical. So I've been meditating every day for the last 27 years. Wow. And when I meditate, I get into that space of bliss. And it's absolute mm. bliss, that feeling of connection to the, the universal power. And it's a lovely, lovely feeling releasing that anandamide into the circulation. So they're our five mm. happy chemicals that we certainly get from having loving and caring relationships with other people. But then there are the two unhappy chemicals that we want to keep down. One is adrenaline. So that, that the adrenaline was, was evolved in our body because of the acute stress of the kill. You had to have that bit of adrenaline to give you that extra bit of strength to be able to overcome the, uh, the animal you were trying to kill. That was the reason we had adrenaline. And also, so if you saw that saber-toothed tiger running at you, you could get away quickly because of the increased blood flow to your muscles and your heart pumping harder. Mm. And the other bad uh, is the chronic stress hormone, which is cortisone. So people who are chronically stressed, their cortisol levels are higher, makes it easier to put on weight. They don't feel as well. Their immune system drops. So we don't want to get those. So they're the, they're the two things uh, physiologically that having good relationships do for you. But then there's also what I call internal happiness. And tragically, there are seven components of that. There should be five, but I, I have to, have to give them. <laughs> oh, no. You're going to have to merge them, it's Dr. Ross. not hard to guess your favorite number, Dr. And uh, yeah, was, uh, I've got five children, but, but um, when I played, when I played soccer till I was 52 and I destroyed my right knee and had a right knee replacement four months ago, but um, well, I was always number five when I played soccer. Yeah, but I these, see. these, these seven principles, the seven principles of internal happiness, which has got nothing to do with your relationships, but certainly lead to good relationships correspond to the seven, what the Hindus call chakras, but the seven energy centers in the body. But let's go through them from number one up to number seven. Mm. Number one is compassion. Yeah. So you should feel compassion for other people. Feel like All of us live in this incredibly privileged country with an incredibly privileged society where we, we get to make choices. We live in a democracy. Uh, there, there's a, it's an egalitarian society where we do look after the underprivileged better than many other countries. And you must have compassion for people who don't have the same privileges that you have. So compassion is so important. Mm -hmm. So and it, it corresponds to the, the, the law that all is one. We're all in this together. Number two is forgiveness. So when somebody harms you, there's this wonderful Buddhist saying that if you want revenge on anyone else, dig two graves. So always forgive people who've harmed you. And it's healing for you, not for them, mm. but it's very healing for you. It doesn't mean you have to hang around with them, but don't carry that, that, uh, mm. that scar in, in your heart the whole time. So forgiveness, number two. Number three is gratitude. Be grateful for what you have. So if you woke up every morning 
and wrote down five things in a gratitude journal you were, you were happy for, you were grateful for, your ability to be able to walk, to be able to breathe normally, your ability to have food or whatever. But five things every day, after a week, your happiness index increases by 25%. Mm. So that's number three. Number four is love. Love is the ultimate power on this planet. Yeah. It's your ability to give and receive unconditional love. Number five is surrendering to what's happening. So you see, with, with life, I see there's two possibilities. One, you're born, good luck, bad luck, you die. So there's no real purpose to life. Or mm. number two, there's a purpose. Now, some people see that through religion. Some people see that through their families, through their work. It doesn't matter what it is. But if you live life as if there's a purpose, mm. then you should see everything that happens to you every day as a, a teaching experience. Number six is, is truth. Be a truthful, honest, ethical person. And people who are truthful, honest, ethical people do so much better than people who are not. And mm -hmm. I know people say, oh, he who has the most toys wins. Mm -hmm. Don't see materially. That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You, you see your life through being a truthful, honest, and ethical person. And number, five, uh, number seven, and the, the final one, is to learn to be in the moment. What happened yesterday has happened. You can't do anything about it. What may happen tomorrow, you still can't do anything about that either. So focus on what you're doing at the time and do it to the best of your ability. So they're the seven keys to internal happiness. Wow. Dr. Ross, I, I love those because, you know, there's just so much wisdom there and so much, so much good science from so many fields, you know, captured in those, those seven, um, those seven factors. I think what's so, um, striking about what you've just shared though is that is within our control like you know gratitude is is a choice it's a practice so is compassion is forgiveness. forgiveness yeah or and go through the whole list these are practices they're choices and they're within our control and i often feel like so much of life um it, it's easy for life to feel like there's all these things that are outside of our control and and health i think often falls into that bracket for people where that they kind of feel like and in some in some situations there are there are obviously aspects of health that are not within our control i'm not saying it all is but what i am saying is there's so much that we can control and we can choose that has such a significant impact as you alluded to earlier with um even the the re reduction of risk factors by our lifestyle and our behaviors um, so I think it's just such a, a time I just want to pause and kind of, you know, for, for everyone listening is, is to kind of just reflect on the, how much of this is within our control and how much of our health actually comes from our, um, our attitude and our mind, you know, mm -hmm. like all of these, these choices, it really reminds me of, um, Victor Frankl, you know, and the man's search. Oh, for of course. Yep, and, yep. um, you know, I think I'd love to hear your views on, having a purpose in life and also choosing one's attitude, which is such a, a key theme of that book, you know, our uh, between stimulus and responses space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And kind of talks about, you know, the, the last of the human freedoms being our um, freedom to choose our attitude and how we mm. endure any suffering. And what's your take on the role of purpose in health? Oh, I, th I think purpose is vital. We all have to have a reason to get ourselves out of bed in the morning. I mean, for example, I've mentioned Alzheimer's disease. Mm. I've seen many incredibly intelligent people with high-powered jobs who then retired 
and had no purpose in life. And within a few years, they've developed severe Alzheimer's disease. Now, I'm not suggesting retirement is a cause of Alzheimer's <laughs> disease. Yeah. It's a much more complex topic, another thing I could talk for another hour on. Mm. But I, I think to have that purpose in life is vital for your well-being, for your ability to do your job well. And, and, and one of the concerns I have about our society, it is so based on how much money you're earning. Mm. earning now again we talk about professional athletes i think it's really sad that the guy who can kick a round piece of leather in the back of the net can earn something like a million dollars a game whereas people who i mean one of my best mates is one of australia's top pediatric surgeons and he gets paid 200 bucks an hour working at a public public hospital changing the destiny of little babies lives now again i don't think our lives should be based on monetary gain mm. but really when well, mm. we've got such a disparity in skills and, and so we put our we put a whole lot of emphasis on celebrity, mm. where I, I think we should be putting emphasis on excellence in any area, not just on celebrity people to entertain people. I think it's outrageous, but I think it's really important mm. to have that life purpose and to work to your life purpose. You see, mm. my job is my hobby. I love my job, and I, I'm continually working because I enjoy it, not because yeah. I have to. Well, I can kind of hear that. You can hear that in, in yeah. how you speak about. Um, your work and your, your um, expertise, you know, and, and as we said at the start, you know, you've published seven books, you know, you're prolific in terms of your output and that's, that's got to be driven by something beyond just uh, obviously the, the business of it. Right. So how do you, how do you think about your own purpose? Oh, I, I just, well, I, I think I've been given uh, some talents. I, I think I'm, 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 I'm a good educator, so I educate people. Like in my radio show, I get, I get the pleasure of, of having a national radio show where two hours a week I, I'm educating people about different aspects of health. I, I do the same thing when a person's sitting in front of me in my own office, and it's just a privilege to do my job. And it's a privilege to mm. be able to, to, to take what can often be a very complex scientific concept and, and relay that into simpler messages for the guy in the street to understand. Because mm. I think one of the, the vital aspects of good health is, is education, not mm. being patronised by a, a doctor who has more scientific knowledge than you, you have, but to, to be able to explain why you should be doing something. I mean, what is the... If, so, for example, this is a great example. You go to a doctor and your cholesterol's high. Mm. So the doctor says, oh, I've got a pill flat, Lipitor next. So you walk out with a Lipitor script and you think, oh, well, the doctor didn't say anything about losing weight or, or doing more exercise. So Lipitor is the key to my salvation. Yeah. So, so you, think about, you think about how stupid this is. The, 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 the notion that the key to good health is lowering a number in your bloodstream with a pill. I mean, it's, it's just absolute garbage yeah. that people would, would think like that. And all the studies to show a long-term benefit from statin therapy were done on fat Americans mm. who, who didn't look after themselves well. There have been no studies on people who practice the five keys of being healthy mm. and who looked after themselves well that taking a statin actually improves their long-term outlook. So that's mm. just one good example. And I know people who don't look after themselves well, take their statin drugs and say, oh, I'm going out for dinner tonight, so I'll just double up on the dose. I mean, it's just complete nonsense because, again, that's suggesting that just lowering cholesterol is, is good for your health. 
when you eat a good diet, it may not affect your cholesterol one bit, mm. but it has effects on your immune system. It has effects on how well your blood vessels open and close, on how well the fat escapes into the wall of your arteries. Mm. There are so many components to those five keys of being healthy and how they impact on your health, rather than just this damn number in the bloodstream mm. the doctors seem so focused on. Yeah. Mm. Dr. Ross, can you, can you mention some of the, the common traps or limiting beliefs or habits that you see holding people back in, in terms of health? I think the traps are the way society has been, has been planned. And I, I think it's great that these days we're encouraging more green space and more people to get out and, and, and move and do things. But I, I think the real trap is the way society has evolved, the dependency we have on electronics for things, mm. um, and rather than people having more natural time. So, so I, think, I think they're yeah. the sort of traps we're talking about. Yeah. And what actually works, and here's the problem. A guy called Napoleon Hill wrote a book years and years ago, I think it was in the 1930s, called Think and Grow Rich. Mm. And what he actually said in that book is the two major success principles are discipline and perseverance. Mm. So I don't believe in 12-week programs. I think they're nonsense. You go on a 12-week program, so, or a book I wrote years ago called Diets Don't Work. You go on a diet like you go on a holiday. What happens when you go on the holiday? You come home. Yeah. What happens when you go on the diet? You stop. Yeah. You have to develop a lifelong program that will work for you. Mm. So you've got to develop an exercise habit and you've got to stay to that habit for the rest of your days. You've got to develop an eating habit, not a mm. diet, but a way of eating that works for you and is healthy food. So, so the, the things that do work is to discipline yourself not to, to be addicted to anything. There's no magic to stop smoking. There's mm. no magic to keeping your, your, your alcohol down or to using illegal drugs. It's just making a decision. Mm. And I say to all my patients, life isn't about you making the big decision to be healthy. It's about making 30, 40, 50 small decisions mm. every day. Decisions like, I won't eat that biscuit. I'll walk up the stairs rather than take the escalators. I mm. won't yell at that fool who just cut in front of me in the traffic. Those split second decisions yeah. that take you to health and happiness, bad health and unhappiness. Yeah. And that... <laughs> There's a few points there that I think are, are really valuable um, for us to to almost um, zoom in on a little bit. And one is you, a lot of what you're saying seems to really highlight the role of the environment and the fit of you know how we are designed to work, how our body and our brain works is not actually well. It doesn't fit well with a lot of things in the modern environment. And to me, that really highlights the fact that the individual themselves, if they've fallen and, you know, say they're overusing technology or they're overeating and they've sort of found themselves in a place that they don't want to be or feeling a way they don't want to feel, it's not necessarily, you know, all by choice that they got there. You know, it's almost like they were, like, there's, there are those traps within the environment that, um, that don't fit so well with how we are, how we're wired um, to be. And I, I think there's vulnerabilities there that we can slip into. Um, but then also we have so much agency or control in terms of the micro choices that we make that can move us in a different direction and, and move us toward health and happiness, you know? And so hmm. those micro choices, I'm, I'm very aware that, the small decisions we make on a daily basis are very connected to our identity and how we view ourselves. 
and the habits that we build tend to really reflect our identity. So is, are there, is there an example or a kind of a practice that you, you have found that is helpful for individuals who are maybe resonating with the fact that they're not feeling like they want to feel, you know, they they want to lose some weight or that, or they're kind of not feeling energized or, or happy in their daily life. And, and they know that they, they know the difference between, you know, what food is good for them and what food isn't. What are some strategies that you've found can be helpful to help them make really good small decisions regularly so that they build up to it becoming a habit? Well, strangely, I call it my five-point power plan. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and the first thing, so the first component of this is to make the decision that you want to change. Mm-hmm. So when you make that decision, you've got to make almost a public declaration. You tell your friends and family, look, I'm sick of being 10, 15, 20 kilos overweight. I'm going to stop. I'm sick of smoking cigarettes. I'm going to stop. I'm sick of drinking too much alcohol. I'm going to stop. And when, once you make that public declaration, you get yourself a journal, write it down in the journal, whatever, and you've got to set goals for what you want. And you've got to set realistic goals. So a lot of people say, oh, look, I'm 10 kilos overweight. I want to lose 10 kilos in a month. Ain't going to happen. It's ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. so set realistic goals, but declare those goals to people around you so that they know you're serious about making that change. That's number one. But number two, Look at the limiting patterns of your life. What is it about your life at the moment that's stopping you from doing it? So, for for example, you're a smoker and you go down on a Friday night to the pub with your mates um, and you have a few drinks, you're not going to stop smoking. So Mm. you've got to stop that little trip to the pub on a Friday night. Mm. So, for, for example, you've got to associate pain with your habit rather than pleasure. I had a patient once who lived over the Melbourne Zoo and she never smoked during the day, but when she came home... She'd sit on the balcony by herself, get out a cigarette, look over the animals. It's too pleasant, that experience. I had a patient in Sydney who who her family wouldn't let her smoke in the house, rightly so, smoking in front of any human being's physical abuse. So they sent her out into the garden. So she'd go out in the garden with a Herald and a cup of coffee and a cigarette. Mm. You're not going to stop smoking in that situation. So look at the limiting patterns of what is stopping you now. For example, if you're overweight, and, and there's all this stuff in your cupboard you're going to eat when you nibble in front of the TV. You've got to get rid of the stuff out of the cupboard mm. so that when it comes that time of night, nine, nine, eight, nine, ten o'clock, you're sitting in front of television, there's nothing to nibble on in the cup. So interrupt the limiting patterns. That's number two. Mm. Number three, create a new pattern. Nature abhors a vacuum. And I've got this great story. And this is, I think, one of the best medical stories I, I could tell you. I saw well over 25 years ago, a fellow who had the worst heart failure I'd ever seen. So the heart usually belts along like this, but this guy's heart on the screen, the echo screen was almost not moving. I thought he was dead when I was, when I was doing the ultrasound of his heart. He had 20 liters of extra fluid in his body. And the reason he did was that he he used to work on the, the wharves down in Sydney. And if there were no boats in, they'd go to the pub started at 10 o'clock and he'd have on average 18 to 20 schooners every day and had what was called an alcohol induced cardiomyopathy. Yeah. And, and I said, to, and this, this guy's a beautiful guy. I said to him, Al, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to die. End of story. So he decided he wanted to live, made the decision he wanted to live, stop drinking. 
But because nature abhors a vacuum, you think about it, 18 to 20 schooners a day is a hell of a lot of your time. You stop that, that's 18 to 20 schooners and the drinking of that, you've got to fill fill it in with something else. So this guy, knockabout warfare in his early 40s, became an amateur Egyptologist. 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 So, So did every course he possibly could do on ancient Egypt, learned all about it, and every cent he used to spend on the beer put into a bank account, saved up for enough money to take him and his beautiful wife Thea over to Egypt, went through the pyramids and and had one of the greatest trips of his life because he rewarded himself with the money he used to spend on his beer. (laughs) Now, that was 25 years ago. Within a few months, his heart was back to normal. Al is still one of my faithful patients. About 10 years ago, he came and put a, a picture on my desk. He said, Ross, this is my grandson, Jake. Without you, I wouldn't be enjoying him. I said, no, no, Al without you making that decision, you wouldn't be enjoying Jake's life. And he's still going, going strong 25 years later, having made that decision, having replaced a bad habit with a good habit. So that's number mm. three. Number four is train the habit. It takes a month of, of discipline for you, you to get into a new habit of doing something. So if you want to start exercising, you've got to force yourself to get out of bed every day and, and put the shoes on and go and do some exercise. But once you've done it for a month, it becomes part of your habit. What I, I played soccer and squash till I was 52, destroyed my right knee so I couldn't play sport. So then I started sitting on an exercise bike. I've broken three exercise bikes in 12 years from <laughs> overuse because I've, trained, because I've trained myself to sit on that exercise bike, which mm-hmm. I do every day. I'll do it this afternoon. My exercise bike's just behind me here. And, and so... You've got to force yourself to do something until it becomes a habit. That's about 30 days. But number five, just as importantly as the first four, live the program for the rest of your life. Have a commitment to your health by doing something that's good for you for the rest of your days. Yeah. I love that. There's so much wisdom there. Live the program for the rest of your life. Dr. Ross, I want to um, change direction a little bit now into sport. I mean, in sport, we, we talk so much about getting the stress recovery balance just right um, so that, you know, you prevent injury, you've got enough yep. energy. What are your thoughts um, and advice on how to know the right mix between activity and recovery? Yeah, well, I, th- I think one of the first things is, again, it's getting the balance, what the Buddhists call the middle path. That's the three to five hours a week of moderate exertion. Now, I know myself, and my wife accuses me of this, I I overdid it. Uh, Soccer and squash was just too much of a trauma on my knee, my lower back, my my right shoulder, and I'm paying for it now, having had the knee replacement four months ago, still got a lower back problem, but I, I get maintenance of that. So I think one of the important things is to get the balance. And, and I, I, I now believe with the retrospectoscope, which is one of the best ever medical <laughs> that you should probably play sport up to 30, 35 and after that exercise. But uh, still, if I had the chance, I'd probably be back on the soccer field because I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> so I think, I think it's firstly, it's balance, but then knowing your body don't, it's a bit like we're seeing it at the moment uh, really being highlighted is this whole thing about chronic traumatic encephalopathy people who get head injuries when mm. they're playing sport but want to be back on the, on the field within a week or two. Let yourself recover properly from the injuries before you try to get back and play sport too early or, or, or to recommence exercise until your body is healed properly because I can promise you, you'll pay for it later on if you don't do that. So it's not just about doing the exercise. It's about having 
good advisors that are going to help, a good physiotherapist, an osteopath, a chiropractor who'll help you with all of these things. I have a fellow who comes to my practice once a week and gives me a treatment called PhysioKey, which is a handheld electronic device that can get into the areas of, of, of problems. And I've got to tell you, this, this pain in the butt sometimes takes a holiday. And every time he does, <laughs> I get sciatica. So, so having, and I have a massage once a week. So it's, it's having things like massage and, and physio key and, and physiotherapy and, and work on your back and your musculoskeletal system so they remain functional. So I think, mm. it's again, it's having a plan for health maintenance. Every, every morning when I wake up, I do 20 minutes of weights and stretching and back exercises so I don't get sciatica, so mm. that my knee, my knee replacement. See, people that have a knee replacement, for example have to do the prehab and the rehab to keep the muscles strong in their legs around that. So it's about maintaining all of those aspects of your health. Yeah. And I mean, so much of it about that is individual and knowing your body and being aware of where your weaknesses yep. are and, and what you need to work on, obviously your back health and flexibility, yep. and mobility and that sort of thing. And so for listeners out there, it's, it's becoming aware of your own body and actually just listening on a day-to-day basis and not being fixated on a, on a particular program um, and, and not fixated on getting the box ticks for that day or that, that workout done. It's being flexible enough to, to change things up according to actually how you feel. Yep. Um, Dr. Russ, I want to explore energy now and you mm. know, to explore our potential and, and bring our, our best to life re- requires energy. Um, yep. What are your what are the key pillars of, of generating sustainable energy in order to thrive? Do you think? Okay. Well, firstly, I think you've got to make a diagnosis first. That's number one. And the commonest cause of tiredness is you're working too hard, playing too hard, not sleeping well. You're going to be tired during the day, and and so you've got to look at, at how your life's being managed by you in terms of your fatigue. So what I do every day for my fatigue is take a thing called ubiquinol. Ubiquinol is the active version of coenzyme Q10. So again, when you're younger, it probably doesn't matter that much. But when you hit 50, the enzyme that that converts you to active ubiquinol in the body starts to drop off. So I I take 100, 150 milligrams every day of ubiquinol purely for energy. Mm. If you've got other cardiac conditions, there's a condition called heart failure, then I, I, I crank the dose up to 300 milligrams. And I'm not suggesting any of this stuff will cure or treat it's just a good supportive therapy for people in this situation for people taking statin drugs i statins deplete coenzyme q10 in the mitochondria because the mitochondria are the little fuel packs in every cell so mm. it doesn't matter what sort of flash car you drive if you haven't got any fuel in the car it's not going to move yeah and so you want to keep that fuel going so this is what ubiquinol does in, in a young person there's been studying in people like yourself eloise high performance athletes mm. when you the ubiquinol, it actually improves their performance. People who are stressed, when they're stressed, it actually reduces the stress levels. So there are all these different benefits. People with heart disease, it improves their cardiac function. People with cholesterol issues, it it keeps their LDL, the so-called bad cholesterol, it keeps it healthier. So there are all these things you can do as far as that goes. But I just take it because I don't have any heart conditions. I, I take it purely for energy, along with a thing called magnesium orotate. Now, it's not the magnesium that does it, although magnesium is good for your body for other reasons, but the orotate helps lift up the CoQ10. So these are the sort of things that I do for energy every day, uh, as, as well as try you know, do all the five keys of being healthy, which is very important to keep up your energy. Can I just mm. ask, um, how, 
obviously supplements and you know the idea of supplementation has kind of um become more common these days yeah. um but earlier you obviously talked about some some really cool principles how how would you advise people to actually view supplements and and the role they play in their life and their their health their life but also how to how to cut through all the marketing you know mm-hmm. and, and yeah. kind of yeah. make good decisions great, great right for you. Mm-hmm. look look firstly you you said it in one rory they're called supplements they're not replacements and i again i i got one patient comes in and he's got this big gut and he whacks on the table eight pharmaceutical pills and 20 supplements he says, now dr walker i want to discuss my therapy with you i said Malcolm, until you lose the gut, this stuff's useless. So mm-hmm. don't think that you can smoke a cigarette or you can t- you can be overweight and that taking a supplement is going to be your salvation. No, 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 no. It's a supplement to a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's 10% of your management. 80% mm-hmm. of the five keys of being healthy, 10% are supplements. So that's the first point. Now, the second point, I believe all people from about age 30 should be taking a multivitamin every day should be taking some form of omega-3. I think if you're, if you're lacking in energy, you want to improve your performance as a sports person, take your ubiquinol every day. I'm a great believer in, in this thing that comes from Calabrian oranges called bergamot. And it's a bergamot product and it has to be the Calabrian orange. The other, the other versions of this bergamot don't work. And, and that, that keeps your metabolism healthy. So there are so many things you can do as far as supplements go to supplement a healthy lifestyle, yeah. not replace a healthy lifestyle. So the key yeah. is supplementation. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And thanks for clarifying too, because I, I think, you know, so much of what we've talked about in this conversation is learning to get our physiology and our psychology to actually work for us rather than against us. And knowing how the the body and the brain are kind of um, – uh, wired, you know, and kind of being aware of the the traps that we can fall into with that, because you know, I think one of those common traps is we're always looking for the most efficient, the path of least resistance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> as you touched mm-hmm. on earlier, and I think that's kind of where supplementation falls into sometimes as well. Is like, oh, is there a is there a hack to this, or is yeah. there a way that I can, you yeah, know, is there a quick fix? You think of life like this. Anytime there's a quick fix. it's never good for you. That's just the paradox of life. If it's quick and easy, it can't be good for you. Anything you've got to put an effort into, like a good long-term relationship, there's no quick fix in that. It's hard work. You put the effort in and you'll reap the rewards at the end. Mm. What I love about that too is, is that principle from the psychological research stands stands up you know and that nothing nothing valuable rewarding meaningful engaging um no nothing really worthwhile is the quick easy option (laughs) you know like our most meaningful moments in life are the ones where we've really um we've we've embraced a challenge that was really difficult and we've worked and we've persevered as you said and we've had the discipline to to reveal the best in our in ourselves through that and yeah and and it's like we would miss that if we took the quick fix Mm. no no olympic athlete can achieve what they achieve without years and years of hard work and discipline and perseverance that's it Mm. what's your vision for if we really got health right if what are you excited about that's on the horizon and what's your what's your vision for what is possible if 
the change you want to see actually happen? Oh, look, I, 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 my vision for people was would be for people to continue to put their effort into their own health. So for for people to realise that their health is their responsibility. You are your own best advocate. And mm. I say to my patients, you're the driver of your health. And I think there's a lot of really exciting things we could talk another hour on what mm. I believe to be the future of medicine. But regardless of how many advances we have, and I think there's some pretty exciting things happening over the next 10 years that are going mm. to revolutionise how medicine is practised. Mm. But that will not take away from the, from the fact that even though I believe all disease is genetic, it's your genes that loads the gun, then your environment that pulls the trigger. Mm. So, And you are in complete control of your environment. So mm. the exciting message for me is to get away from this I'm, I'm just uh, uh, being dragged along by the boat. Now you're driving the boat. And yeah. the more you drive the boat and the, the more efficiently you drive the boat, the better that boat's going to work. And, and so th this is the thing that uh, I, one, of the, one of the slides I show in my professional talks are a, a group of guys standing outside a castle and they've got these uniforms on with a big target on the uniform. And, and, and says, what I tell you, Boris, these new uniforms are a crock. It's not the uniforms of the croc. It's the way people look after themselves. That's the croc mm. and the way we've been told to look after themselves. So if people change their attitude to how you look after yourself, that's my excitement mm. for the future where people start to say, you know what, this is my, my responsibility. I'm going to do something about it. That's, a, that's an inspiring thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the future of medicine is a very, very exciting thing. And, and yeah. I, I haven't even touched on it. There are so many new things happening in the future which have got nothing to do with lifestyle. I mean, lifestyle is written in stone. That's yeah. vitally important. But the ways that we can revolutionise medicine, I'll talk about that in another another occasion. Can you tease us with like the three words of the three topics? Oh, well, yeah. Nan nano, nanotechnology. Mm -hmm. So putting putting medications into one tiny pill. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about that. Moving away from injectables to patches. Mm -hmm. So there's some really exciting things that are happening there. The improvement in bionics. Mm -hmm. So uh, the creation of, of proper artif artificial hearts, kidneys, livers. I've got, already got an artificial knee in my body. Um, mm -hmm. So all of these things are working there. Stem cell therapy. Another big thing is medical cannabis, which I'm on the board of a company called MGC Pharmaceuticals, introducing medical cannabis around the world. Um, and I think that's another big... There's all of these exciting things happening. I just gave you... A, taste yeah Dr. Ross I want to be respectful of your time um so are you ready for Rory's rap and I'm pretty aware that you probably don't know what that is so the answer is <laughs> hopefully yes I'm absolutely aware I'm, I'm a fever pitch for Rory's rap <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you and um look incredibly difficult for me to um to wrap just you know even my head around let alone wrap up the um just the, the depth and the breadth of what you've shared, but what's what's most striking for me and, and hopefully really resonates with our our listeners is the the principles by which you you focus in health, you know, and it's actually realizing that we have so much more control that over our destiny, over our experience of health and energy and life um, than we allow ourselves to think, you know, and I think that's such a refreshing perspective that actually realizing we're in the driver's seat and we have a lot of agency to, to move in a direction that's right for us. That's going to be good for us in the long run. But to do that, you know, so much of what you've shared really speaks to the fact that 
the the path that is most rewarding, most fruitful is not the easiest one. It's the one that requires discipline, that requires um, consistency, and it, and it requires um, recognizing the difference between a, a attempting quick, uh, quick hit or quick, um, yeah, a, a quick temptation versus something that's going to really serve us at a deeper level of health and of meaning. And um, the five, the, lo- the lots of five that you keep coming back to, I find there's such handy references um, for practical things that we can do to build our health, to build our purpose in life. And, and lastly, I think what's really important with what you've shared is the link between our psychology and our, and our physiology, you know, and the fact that so much of what you talk about, the practices of good health are really um, within us, you know, they are the attitudes, you know, or choices that we can make about how we view ourselves, about how we view the world around us and how we engage in the world around us. And so it's really um, encouraging to hear that with, from someone of your, um, with your experience and your, your credentials in, in the field of, of, of medicine, you know, to, to remind us that actually our attitude and our choices to um, how we want to show up in life uh, are our greatest asset and our greatest power mm. to, to drive in a direction that's going to be fulfilling for us and to enable us to give the most to the world around us. So um, thank you so much for, for sharing some of your wisdom. I know there's so much more in there and because of that, uh, I definitely um, recommend people check out your, your daily radio or your weekly radio show um, and where else can people find you if they're interested to learn more about you, your work, your books, etc.? A uh, very simple website, uh, drrosswalker.com or my Facebook site, which is the Dr. Ross Walker Facebook. I put up a, um, a blog every week on that and I put up uh, radio segments as well. So there's a lot of information out there. Awesome. And last question, Dr. Ross, how, what, how have you been so prolific? Like you've, you produce a lot of work in the world. you mm you're achieving a lot. Any, oh, any kind of things that you've found that really work for you? Uh, just that because I love my job so much, it's my hobby. So some, some people have hobbies that take them away from their work, but I, I just get so absorbed with, with reading all the latest stuff, keeping up to date. So it's just, just purely time. I, I try not to waste time doing things and I spend a lot of time on my work and it's just, it, and it's not a chore. It's just fun. It's what I love doing. Yeah, well, your passion for what you do is inspiring and we're so grateful that you came on the show today. It's been a pleasure.